anything's possible though, because you know Bitcoin is money. So you know, money talk, man. Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast, powered by Coin Telegraph. What began as a small experiment is now a rapidly expanding ecosystem. As citizens of the internet, we expect to be able to send money over the internet as quickly and cheaply as sending an email. As citizens of the internet, we demand transparency. Here, we talk about Bitcoin, Ethereum, blockchain industries, fintech, and more. But we're not experts. We're just three guys in the Bitcoin community. And adoption is the only thing that matters. Welcome to episode oh 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 let me try that again. Oh 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 hey everybody, welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast, episode number 78. I'm your first host, Marcello. And I'm host number two, D. And host number three, Corey. Uh Corey, are you in, in Rio, like telling people at the Olympics about Bitcoin? I'm not going to Rio. Actually, I had plans. I had plans <laughs> to go next week, next weekend, and I think I'm not going to go because it's a shit show. Literally it's, a shit show. I just watched a documentary, and they can't keep shit out of the water. It's pretty. It's really bad, and a lot of the people here are afraid of terrorist attacks. Damn. And it's just a clusterfuck of of tourists, mad Brazilians, and terrible infrastructure in terms of what they've built for the Olympics. So, I'm thinking I'm just going to avoid it altogether. Soccer's better smart. anyway. Yeah. It's a smart decision. Avoidance. I mean, from what I watched on this HBO documentary, apparently the like Olympics board gave they gave them a bunch of money and they said, "We're going to fix our city with this money." But then they just built giant stadiums. Well, they wanted to. They wanted to do a lot of the infrastructure stuff. They just didn't have time. They didn't do a very good job of it. The planning was bad. A lot of, I mean, it's it, they didn't do much. Although, if they would have done what they originally planned, which I think they wanted to do, this it would have helped Rio a lot. And looking at the buildings that they made, it it looked like it could have been really, really, really great for Brazil in general. <laughs> and I I don't know what's going to happen afterwards. I, I saw a video of a, uh, I think it was a Jamaican woman, like videotaping her room when she got into it, when there's like three Brazilian workers just in there, like making the bathtub. Like, it's like, it's, <laughs> it's like, Hey, just go ahead and set your stuff down. We're, we're going to keep working. Like, I feel like you should have finished that before I got here. Anyways, we got to pay the bills, right? Cello? Or can we, yeah. go? if you, if you want to, if you want a bathtub of your own, you can use escrowmybits.com. It's fast. It's super easy, and it only takes three steps. Let me explain how that works. All you're going to do is register and deposit your Bitcoin, and then the seller will ship the item. Buyer checks the goods and then releases the funds, and they also offer Bitcoin escrow with a locked exchange rate. So no matter where you are in the world, they got you covered. And they charge a small flat escrow fee of 1% on all transactions, and they offer you the ability to split the fee with the other party uh, in case you don't want to pay 1%. Uh, you can pay 0.5% or 0.3%. So they thought of everything, and your funds are kept in a secure two of three multi-signature transaction where they're only going to hold 
one key. And their goal is to make using escrow as simple as possible. So please go to their website, escrowmybits.com, and sign up for their newsletter and escrow your shit with escrowmybits.com. All right, we're also brought to you by Athena Bitcoin, which is the most trusted name in Bitcoin ATMs. And they're located in Houston, Fort Worth, Dallas, and seven other U.S. cities. So download the Athena Bitcoin wallet on the App Store or Google Play. And for specific locations and more information, visit athenabitcoin.com. And they're always adding new locations. So go to that website and stay up to date and see if uh, one's coming to a city near you. And also, we are also brought to you by Athena Bitcoin's portfolio company, bitquick.co. That's bitquick.co. It is a secure, quick, and easy peer-to-peer Bitcoin marketplace where you can get Bitcoin for cash in as little as three hours. That's less than the running time of Titanic because it's a long-ass movie. And BitQuick serves Bitcoiners since 2013. So where there's a bank, there's BitQuick. Booyah! Boo-shakalaka. You know what I get about the Titanic is that that plank clearly had room. For Leo on it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know either. It's just, <laughs> uh, can I just hop up there with you? I mean, it's not, it, it yeah. Take his balls. Like, it's really cold in this water, and you've got all that space on that wooden plank. You mind just, uh, scoot can I just over. scoot on up there? Scooch. But then, ah, uh, people will make the argument that he would have knocked her off and she can't swim. It would be like an air mattress, you know, where you try to get on, or like a hammock, and then you both just get knocked off. I'm like, ah, sorry. Uh, I guess that explains that. Mystery solved. All right. What's on the docket? Uh, let's talk about hacks. No. Why? Because <laughs> that, that happened, and it's this is the second most largest uh, blunder of Bitcoin. Uh, to Mount Gox. Mount Gox was. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's large, but is not. It's not nearly as large as Mount Gox. Mount Gox was like around three hundred and fifty million dollars mm. in terms of the Bitcoin supply. This is like the third worst. This is one. about eighteen yeah. percent. This is, I think, what I'm reading here. Eighteen percent of what Mount Gox lost is what was lost with Bitfinex. So, for those who don't know, who maybe only get their news sources from us. Uh, Bitfinex, one of the largest Bitcoin exchanges, uh, was hacked, or something happened. I don't. I, I, people like to throw around this term "hack." We have no idea what actually happened. We just know that a lot of money that was supposed to be in their wallet is now gone, and they don't know what happened to it. Uh, it had to do with the way Bitfinex was interfacing with BitGo in terms of this two of three. Um, multi-signature wallets, multi-signature accounts and the way that they kind of held. They're looking for different ways to store the majority of their funds instead of using cold wallets. Or, and it seems to maybe have bit them in the ass. Uh, why they were doing this, I don't know. That I've Andreas um, sent out a tweet talking about um, the CFTC which stands for the U.S. Commodity Futures Trading Commission, um, maybe putting a bit of pressure on them to do something like this in terms of regulation purposes. I don't know if that's any of that's true or what the details of that are, 
but in the process of them doing this alternative to what almost every other exchange does in terms of keeping the majority of the funds in a large cold wallet that's offline, um, there's a vulnerability somewhere in about 66 million. Oh, I don't know what it's actually worth today, considering the price has gone down. Was lost a total of 119,756 yeah. BTC. It's 0.75% of all bitcoins. Mm. So that's a lot of Bitcoin, but I mean, this shit is going to happen and we've learned the lesson. So like, well, I have, I have zero sympathy for anyone that was just keeping funds on Bitfinex yep. and not using it actively for trading purposes. We've learned this lesson. Yep. Hey, Corey, guess times. what I did when I haven't been trading since I haven't traded since like late June. So guess what I did? What'd you do? I took my fucking money off of the exchange. Like, good. That's the point. Like, Bitcoin allows you to do that. That's the point. Like, it's not like traditional trading where you have to keep all of your finances in the platform in which you, you do your trading. When you're done trading, take it off the platform. It takes th three minutes. Yep. And then the, and it's all yours. It's like, if, but if you don't control the keys, then it's not your Bitcoin. And what is happening, which ends up probably being, I don't know how your views are in terms of, politics but they're considering taking this as a socialized loss mm, dirty which which means that instead of individuals losing all of their money and some of people and some of some people's money while it's being untouched uh considering what happens with exchanges is they usually keep everyone's funds in large wallets that they control the exchange controls and they have their own um central personalized private ledger of who owns what and then when someone wants their money, they give them that money and deduct from their large pool. So because they essentially control all of everyone's money that they put into the exchange, uh, they can just say, well, we took this much percent loss of our total. Now everyone's account has been deducted this much percent, which essentially spreads out the loss evenly amongst all users of Bitfinex, which is socialism. That's the whole point of socialism. If one mm -hmm. person loses, everyone loses, just a little less. And so if you mitigate the loss across a large number of people, then it doesn't impact. If the impact is much, much, much um, hard, easier to take for everyone. That would be, I guess, the uh, justification. But others would say, fuck that. This wasn't my problem. My, <laughs> my money wasn't stolen. Why should I yeah. suffer the yeah. consequences? <laughs> but... This is one of those situations where you're at the whim of the company where you keep your money. If you had your money on your own account, then you wouldn't have to worry about any of this. Yeah. And you so took your money I, off the exchange. It's not your decision. This is this is a precedent that's never been set. Like I this this is uncharted territory in terms of uh loss mitigation. How do you launder that money if you're a thief? How do you get rid of it? I don't know, man. Put it through a mixer? Every exchange just, is going to be watching where they go. I just imagine them put it through a mixer, There's laughing mixing services like M Bison after he gives you the final scissor kick in round three. Just fucking laughing. Uh, I miss your Street Fighter references. Oh, They're yeah. back. Oh yeah. <laughs> nice mic, by the way. It sounds good. Oh yeah. I had to spin little ducats. Get a good mic. Feels you good. Give, what, 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 plug the mic. What mic did you get? Um, 
They're not our sponsor. They're not going to pay us. No, I'm kidding. Maybe it's they'll a, give you some more. Maybe they'll give me a free headset if you plug them correctly. <laughs> it's a Razer Kraken 7.1 Chroma. And I got it because you can change the colors of the LEDs on the headphones. Oh, you got it because your mood. You got yep. <laughs> it's a mood ring for my ears. You got it because I told you to get it. Yes, that is why. I trust I trust your judgment in lots of facets of my cre- life. It's cre- is it created by Razer or is it created by Sennheiser? Which one did you get? Um, this one's created by Razer. Okay. I didn't so, I, I gave you a few options on which ones were good. Yeah. What's so funny is like every time I have like a tech quandary, I'm like, hey Corey, I'm thinking about getting a tech thing. And then I get like seven links. Here's seven options. Just go ahead and how did you how did you purchase that, by the way? This one? Yeah. A good old fashioned person that I owe. But I signed up years ago with purse.io. With uh Did you use the promo code BTC? No, I did not. This fucking guy. Jeez. I told you. I'm trying to tell you why. I signed up a long time ago before there were purse.io promo codes. And so I didn't want to create a new email. Just a you, you literally have told our listeners to cancel their account oh and start God. a new one. Yes, I have. <laughs> and you won't even do it yourself. You goddamn right I won't. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have time. <laughs> Anyways, we're going down a dark path. Razor, Kraken, 7.1 Chroma. It's, it's got colorful speakers. Razor, send me one. Yeah. Hold up. I'm looking on the box right now. Frequency response, 100 to 12,000 hertz. Signal to noise ratio, 63 decibels. Shameless plugging. Yeah. Anyways, anyway, uh, let's get into our guest. Yeah, yeah. This was this was a really fun interview. So uh, I know I we interview like Marcello does most of this stuff, but uh, I just wanted to say that for this, I'll let him do the introduction. But I wanted to say that for this particular interview, we did zero talking points or or interview questions. This was completely organic. We just wanted to have a conversation with another podcaster. And kind of uh, shoot the shit on what's going on, how we view podcasting, um, how we view the space and uh, all of the crazy new events that have essentially unfolded over the past month or two. Yeah, he uh, he went from like Maine lobster fisherman to being in New York, a skyscraper, being the uh, like director of media for Consensus. Great guy. Super cool guy. Definitely. I really enjoyed uh listening to this interview. I don't get a part I don't get a chance to be a part of many interviews as of late. Um but yeah, it was great. Cello, you're dropping some knowledge bombs, man. You and the conversation was uh very, very smooth. I think you guys will like it. It'll be fun for your ears. So Here. Here it is. And we're recording. <laughs> so let's let's pick up where we left off. You just got back from the pub, and you're about to go get a glass of wine. Hold on, yeah, I'm so, gonna get a glass of. I'm gonna get a beer. I'll be back. 
So I've got a glass of wine. There we go. Gonna give you a courtesy of uh, courtesy of Jonathan Allen of Long Neck and Sun Marketing. There he is. <laughs> so I'm actually in a friend's uh, WeWork right now. We would. I was trying to gun it for Bushwick, and it was like it's just too far. It's just too far. So. Well, I appreciate so, pretty, you uh, putting in the long hours then. <laughs> totally, mate. Someone's got to drink all the beer. I hear you. Corey's Irish, so you know we can handle our own. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, that's what that's what Irish people say. Yeah, <laughs> I'm German. So, <laughs> oh wow. So we've actually got a strong. Uh, we've actually got a really like proud drinking history behind. I think so. Yeah. And a bad. All right. And the connection is good. Yeah, this sounds fantastic. All right. I'm actually looking. I took I took some notes. I had a uh, I had a I had some thoughts because. So, uh, are we recording now? Yeah. Cool. So, because Ethereum's been going through these this like fantastic turmoil recently, right? It's been really cool. Uh, I know I'm not supposed to. Uh, I'm probably supposed to be very. Um, I'm probably supposed to be very, uh, very kind of. I guess you know, you, there's a party line, right? You know, in, in every culture, there's a party line. And, uh, and I feel like right now people are really frustrated with what's happened with the, you know, the DAO and the hard fork and the uh, and the, the emergence of Ethereum Classic, which I don't know. I'm not I'm not very impressed necessarily with uh, with Ethereum Classic, but increasingly I'm I'm starting to get a sense that maybe there's something of use here. Maybe we've actually uh, maybe there's an opportunity in the emergence of a second Ethereum and. Uh, and this is something I've only been thinking about recently, and I and I wonder, <laughs> I wonder if uh, if some of my friends in this space are going to think that I'm a bit of a lunatic uh, for suggesting it. But yeah, I think there might be something here, you know. Um, but uh, I know I'm suddenly taking control of of an interview that you guys are conducting. So uh, no so interview here. We're uh, only talking. This is just us. This is this is your springboard to talk about this kind of shit. I mean, what what so from with with what's currently going on with the fork and Ethereum, everyone seems, at least the developers, seem to be staying with Ethereum. And what's what's holding Classic up? Like, what do you think is the is the the use, or what could possibly become of something like Ethereum Classic? So, well, first of all, like, there's no not necessarily any use for Ethereum Classic, you know. Uh, um, and I mean. The reason is that, first of all, we already have all the functionality on, uh, you know, Ethereum, the original. Um, <laughs> I don't know. This is suddenly like the the, uh, the nomenclature here is ludicrous. But <laughs> we we have everything we need, you know, like what could a second Ethereum offer? And so first up, I mean, I don't really think it has anything to offer us now. But let's not think of functionality. Let's think of... Uh, of opportunities for the future, and let's think of what's actually going to take place in the future of the Ethereum ecosystem, and uh, and let's see how Ethereum Classic could potentially fit into that, and then maybe we can find some value in it. Um, because right now, like the rhetoric that people are you know, throwing around, it's it's garbage, it's nonsense. Like, you know, I don't really, um, it, you know, people have these like these ludicrous ideas of uh, of idealism principles right and it's like look okay the the only 
the only outcome of idealism is a broken heart. You know, that's that's what happens to idealists. Uh, they they never get to, get to see what they want realized. They just become disillusioned and. Uh, and the people who are really able to affect change and, and realize these visions, they compromise uh, with the world and come up with something that is a bit more, um, a bit more applicable or, or, or a bit more, uh, they adapt their ideas to the world as opposed to insist that the world adapts to their ideas. I mean, that is the, that's the fallacy of idealism. Well, that's, so, that's something that, that I guess, uh, I was recently listening to one of, uh, the let's talk Bitcoin's live episodes that happened recently and andreas discusses this idea of of um people who tend to fail or aren't really contributing much to the space or the people that think they know what the blockchain is or what a cryptocurrency is and what it's used for and what it should be when these things are so young and so new who who the fuck knows what these things are going to be in the future or what they're supposed to be. And so these idealists that have kind of been around in the future and say, this is what this was built for. This is the only reason it's here. And this is what we need to strive for are essentially holding on to this ideal that is only, like you said, going to give them heartbreak when it changes inevitably. It is. It's like, it's, it's look. I mean, everyone wants to change the world for the better. You know, we all do. That's why we're here. But, uh, but if you think that you're so smart that you know how to do it, you're sadly very deluded. And uh, and if you're going to go on Reddit and spout off some garbage, you know, some like arrogant nonsense, you know, I mean, what are you doing? You're just bringing the, you're just lowering the tone. Don't even go on Reddit. I mean, I, I don't, I don't even go on Reddit anymore. It's we've, uh, we've stopped. Yeah, it's like it just became too factionalized, and uh, because it's too open, right? We need to find a way to clear out the riffraff. Um, but anyway, anyway, that's let, let's not let's not complain about uh, let's not complain about the communities that support the development. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we love our listeners. We love them. <laughs> exactly, exactly. We're in the business um, of community. Totally, exactly. We are in the business of community. Oh, man, I mean, how did a misanthrope wind up in the business of community? Um, yeah, but, let's, uh, get, let's get into that. I would like I want to kind of talk about how you got into the space of podcasting and like kind of where your what what your background is because. Um, you're like the Ether Review was probably the first Ethereum specific podcast, at least that I saw pop up on the on the Let's Talk Bitcoin network. And then, and then it it kind of I almost you almost separated for a little while. You weren't having episodes on there, and then you're back on there. Where did where did you come from? What 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 do you do? So way back in the day, remember 2014, right? I got into Bitcoin early uh, early 2013, and I was unemployed. For the whole year, um, I was in uh, I was in Melbourne, and I'd moved to Melbourne because all my friends were there. And prior to that, I'd been living in Maine and, and working in the lobster fishery up there. And I I just wanted to get back back to you know my community. Uh, and so I went to I went to Melbourne, and uh, and there was a labour glut, so I couldn't I just couldn't find a job. Um, and I just spent basically a whole year on the couch learning about Bitcoin. And it was like there came a point in 2014 where I was stone broke I was like jeez did I just throw away an entire year of my life I'm going to make something come out of this and I was <laughs> I was really passionate about uh, about cryptocurrency and BitShares had emerged and BitShares is BitShares and Counterparty right those are the two really incredible ones uh, prior to Ethereum and um, and so I was really interested in, in both of those and uh, and here was this opportunity to 
there, there was an opening uh, to create a podcast and I thought hey I have an overmodulated voice I can uh, I can do this <laughs> and, um, and so that's what I did I just made a podcast and I started I started just focusing on uh, on bit shares um, and I had a uh, and I had someone who I was collaborating with on this and uh, every single podcast I've ever done it started as a collaboration and the collaboration has fall apart fallen apart um, this guy he flipped his lid tried to blackmail me with a recorded Skype conversation wow. and I was like you know what mate publish it I don't care like we want <laughs> I mean you know I actually I don't know that anyone really cares what I even think I'm not sure I think I'm just a dude like, <laughs> what was the context can you, can you tell um, us that uh, yeah it was about the Silk Road you know um, ah okay and uh, but it was only you know, we were just talking about it speaking yeah, of shit <laughs> totally, man. I mean, how does anyone get into Bitcoin? Um, yeah. In those days, anyway. But uh, it was uh, it was just a really interesting, you know, because at the, at the time that was the most interesting thing going on, right? In the in the pre altcoin world, it was like, wow, you know, unregulated online marketplaces. That is crazy. I actually thought that was where I would start podcasting. Was about like how these things were, were evolving. But um, but yeah, so I got into the altcoin space and uh, and I hashed my way through that through Beyond Bitcoin over the course of 27 episodes and came up with an answer what is going to come beyond Bitcoin and my conclusion was and this is entirely uh, courtesy of Meher Roy and Tim Swanson um, two of probably the best thinkers of the space uh, in my opinion as far as like as far as you know non-associated kind of non, uh, non-partisan thinkers Meher Roy and Tim Swanson are, are probably the two people who I listen to um, the most uh, but they are or, or whose whose opinions I, I give the greatest value. But they, uh, but it was this idea of uh, smart oracles that was developed by Ripple Labs in the form of Codius and uh, and kind of cryptocurrencies, probably on a practical Byzantine fault tolerant ledger, which uh, is what Ripple is using, because those are there. It's, it was the first real permission blockchain, and I was always convinced by, and I I, I remain today convinced by the idea of a permission blockchain. Uh, I like the idea of pub. I like the idea of of public blockchains, but I, I'm, you know, you're sold on the idea like, that the the one the one that will probably succeed in the future will be a permissioned blockchain of some sort. It'll be. I mean, the the public ones will always live on. I think. I think just through uh, the ideals I, of the of the idea of the blockchain, they're going to continue to live on in some way, shape, and, or form. And and the sheer utility, and I think that uh, I think that uh, public blockchains are a really great way for uh, for consortium or permission blockchains to communicate between one another. Uh, you know, because they can uh, they can hash their state, or they they can they can communicate through a. You know, they can use uh, they can use a permission blockchain as as a communication rail. Yeah. So I, I, they can use a public blockchain as a communication rail. So I think there's uh, I think I think public blockchains are extremely valuable and, and ultimately truly are the backbone of, of any successful system like you know cryptographic uh, block uh, ledger system in the future. But um, but yeah, I, I definitely do believe in the in the utility of of permission blockchains, consortium ledgers, and and controlled kind of, and controlled access, right? Of course, because who doesn't want more control? I mean, look, look, I can manage my own servers, right? I don't need, I don't need some elaborate consensus mechanism, right? You know? Yeah. But I feel like that's kind of the the old argument. If you if you go back to what everyone says, or the same analogy everyone uses of uh, Ethernet versus internet. 
and how these ethernets were built up within within companies and then they then shared their information from each other through the internet and then everyone just moved to the internet uh but i feel like maybe the balance of power between ethernet and internet of the blockchain world might not be so swayed towards internet in the future Wait, but no, no, here we go. Let's actually, that's, you've just like nailed it down right there. That's exactly what's going to happen, right? It's going to be consortium emission ledgers for a while. And then eventually when we're convinced, when, when I say we, you know, I mean the entire space is convinced of the, the functionality of these, of public ledgers, then we'll switch to the public ledgers. But that's going to take a really long time. And it should take a long time. You know, you should, you know, don't like, you don't want to just go like going guns blazing into this, you know, land of. I mean, how old is Ethereum? It just turned one year old. Ethereum just turned one. You know, yeah. Like let's uh, <laughs> let's let's take it easy and make Baby sure steps. we have as much. Yeah, exactly. Um, and boy, is like Ethereum one example of a technology that does not take baby steps. No, it's a, it's a it's a it's a uh, move fast and break things. Like I I. I'd like to say that in previous interviews and like, but listen, we don't like to break things. We like to move fast, but breaking things isn't so much. It's like, well, you're breaking things. It's wait, no, Ethereum's never broken anything. Oh, you're right. You're right. It's there Ethereum are applications that do us. things terribly. Maybe yeah, not that's terribly. That's got nothing to subtly. do with Ethereum. That's got nothing to do with Ethereum. You're right. The EVM you know, of the DAO worked beautifully throughout the entire state of the DAO. And the reentrancy attack that was used to drain the DAO, that was understood and made public before the DAO uh, was itself like launched. So the attack that the attack vector was well understood and was publicly known, and it was it was entirely a failure on the part of the creators of the DAO to not fully vet their code. And they were vetted by other people, but unfortunately, those people just I, I don't think did a. Uh, did a, a very good job, but I should probably I should probably not talk too much about. I think, <laughs> I think the, I the majority of the problems associated with Ethereum in its current state right now are human made. It's humans. It's the human touch of these cryptocurrencies, like the social aspect of cryptocurrencies and how we think things should go, is kind of fucking the whole thing up. I could not agree more. I could not agree more. People have these ideas, and uh, and I mean just. Just look at like you have to live in a world. You can't you can't imagine that you know what's going on. You've you've got to just you know you've got to just take the world as it is and and do the best that you can. And it looks like Ethereum is just nailing it at every step of the way. And I think that, and and this actually brings us back to uh to to the the two things I was talking about um before, which was first of all like, you know the principle of not thinking that you are so smart, and also uh. And also the opportunity that Ethereum Classic presents, um, and that is that now we have a kind of. I'm going to go ahead. I, I, I want to. I don't want to be a. Uh, I don't want to be too positive about the people who support Ethereum Classic. Right? Uh, it seems to me like a leech technology. Um, the idea is that like look, everyone decided this was a good thing to do, and you're just being stubborn um, and idealistic, right? But we can leverage these people's stubbornness and idealism to our own benefit and that is that we when uh when we do make these uh these uh, hard forks these massive changes to the protocol they can just wait and see how it pans out on the main network and if it all works well then they can follow us you know um 
but they don't need to. But we have this. Our bets are now hedged. It's it's really great. I mean, they're going to have to fork. They have a difficulty bomb in a year that's going to make it impossible to mine. So they're going to have to. Uh, they're going to have to change how um, Ethereum Classic, uh, how the mining of Ethereum Classic is going to unfold. But what I hope when we see the Metropolis rollout is that they will, uh, is that they will, along with Metropolis, um, Ethereum Classic will adopt a a different um, a different mining kind of a different mining mining roadmap that maybe extends mining past the point where uh, where Ethereum the, the original will uh, will adopt proof of stake. So that should anything go wrong with proof of stake, um, not that we have any reason to suggest that the uh, that the foundation would ever make a mistake. They seem to be bloody impeachable, frankly. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> but at least we have a hedge now. You know, this is this is a, a, a Ethereum Classic is a great opportunity. I, I, it's uh, I'm really. Now I'm I'm kind of seeing that there's uh, there's all kinds of upsides that have come out of this uh, this DAO hack that uh, that really give the entire network and the entire ecosystem a uh, puts it all in a better position than it was before. So what you're saying is you you kind of like you you like these hard forks as as more along the lines of you hope when Metropolis drops that. Ethereum and Ethereum Classic stop continuing along a fork. So they forked, but they've continued along the lines of essentially holding hands together. It's just one has a different uh, ledger of who holds what money. And you're hoping with Metropolis or something something along the lines that the fork actually turns into a fork and they lead in different directions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they should. You know, yeah, they, they definitely should. should. There's no points. reason for them to be standing there holding each other's hands. There's not. I mean, right now, any all anti uh, all anti Ethereum Classic rhetoric, which is uh, is based around the idea that Ethereum Classic is a clone of something that is uh, it, it's a clone of something that has greater consensus, right? So it has to diversify itself. There's a clear path of diversification here, and uh, and that is to simply be the more conservative and the immutable version of um, of Ethereum, and a lot of people who I talk to, um, you know, especially around the office, say like, "Why would you use Ethereum Classic? You know, if you want immutability, just go Bitcoin." Um, yeah. But uh, because at the end of the day, Ethereum is a settlement layer. It's not. It doesn't scale, so it's kind of a settlement layer um, until we get web scaling. Uh, but but yeah, it's it's uh, you know, I mean, we're waiting into like pretty uh, pretty technical kind of stuff, but it's a uh, the whole, the whole DAO, you know. It, I, typically, people say the DAO fiasco, right? Um, but it's it's been a massive, massive learning curve, and we've we've conducted some. We haven't deliberately conducted these experiments, but we've learned a lot about what value is and how belief in something converts into value, and we have that in almost uh, in almost measurable form in the way that. People value Ethereum Classic, even though you know, for its uh, residual development, as opposed to its future development, because of course it doesn't have any future development prospects uh, outside of just leeching off uh, another blockchain that has better, uh, that has a, a more, a more, a more powerful consensus behind it. What about uh, what about the like developers? Uh... You know, none of the well-known Ethereum developers are joining Ethereum Classic. 
Don't, I mean, let's not be so, we shouldn't be so hasty saying that, right? Because people say, you know, we all have a, uh, we all have to make a choice, you know. Um, do we follow the uh, the consensus or do we follow what we have been rubbishing, which is principles, right? And, you know, I'm not, well, I'm not an idealist and I'm not a big fan of uh, of idealistic thought. I, I do like the hard fork broke hearts that was really heartbreaking you know like it was perfect right. up until that point this was perfect and suddenly you know due to some idiot's mistake uh, this has been you know this perfect world that we inhabited suddenly um you know, we're brought crashing down to reality. Well, that was that was yeah. fucking inevitable. I think. It was inevitable. You know, you're absolutely right. No, no. I actually no. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna acquiesce to that. I don't think it was inevitable. I think. Uh, I don't know that it was. You know, that was like bad that we hard forked for something. You know, that was really bad. Like, had to be something terrible to warrant a hard fork, and that well, could I, have never happened. While I agree that it's terrible that we hard forked, I still believe the hard fork was the right choice based on the circumstances. It just sucks that the circumstances became what they were. I hundred percent, yeah, you've you've nailed it exactly. Um, so you know, so we're in a position of just having to make the best of a of yeah. a bad situation, and unfortunately, um, unfortunately, it's it's a situation that only offers opportunity. Um, you know, so so we've got, uh, you know, <laughs> it feels bad and it kind of looks bad, but at the end of the day. You know, we've come up with a. Uh, we now have a, a platform with, with redundancy, and uh, in terms of the service that it provides, and we have, um, and we, you know, we escaped the, uh, we escaped the Dow, you know, this. And oh man, you know, I put money in the Dow. I, so I did. I. We all did. Yeah. Really? Oh, you yeah. guys put money in the Dow? I yeah. thought I was the only like tragic fool that bought into that nonsense. No, I of course in... I did. I, was, I, I got my friends man. to do it. I, like, <laughs> I... Our, our job as podcasters is to put in money ourselves and tell I all our friends. I believed in it, man. I like the ideals of it. I like the I like the, the where it could possibly go. I realized that the voting mechanisms were pretty flawed, but I had hopes that they could then move forward. I mean, I'm, I guess I'm I'm just an a overwhelming optimist in what things can be. And I guess we all are. Rolf. We were in a fucking cryptocurrency, but yeah. it, that was the thing. So I asked, like, I said to, uh, I said to Stephen, like, D don't you think that right now, right? First of all, we're, we're like refining our uh, selection process for excessive optimism, right? Like these people, are like who they already bind to cryptocurrency. It's a pretty dubious prospect and ultra ultra volatile, and uh, and now we've got these people who buy into like this obscure altcoin with these this weird idea of smart contracts, and now you're going to create this like this uh, investment vehicle that appeals to exactly these people. It was crazy. It was I'm really sure, crazy. I'm not sure if you looked. I did a I did like a distribution analysis of those who who invested into the Dow, and. It was insane how many like the the distribution of wealth and the sheer number of people that that bought in. So there's a ton of people that bought in with almost nothing, just because they wanted to be a part of the project. It was it was it was neat. They wanted to vote voting mechanism. And then you had a good amount of people that just put a shitload of money into the Dow, and they controlled all the voting power. You know, 
Yeah, I wonder what the deal was, eh? Like, there's always weird stuff with these things. You never really know how the information theory kind of, uh, kind of pans out. Because, yeah, there would have been some individuals who would have, say, had said, like, look, if we can control a bunch of information, if we can control a bunch of voting power, we can leverage that control to get our own proposals put through, et cetera, et cetera. Tons of opportunity, tons of, like, you know, it's a, well, I mean, this is this is crypto. You never know what's going on behind the scenes. So let's uh, let's change gears a little bit here and talk about podcasting, just in, just in, yeah, general, in general. Uh, Chella, I know you had a few questions you wanted to ask him. I did because you. I always felt like when we started the podcast game, we got in um, we got in late, like we were one of the late players. But you joined, I think, four months after we started, and. This past, I think, couple of weeks, we've all had the same guests on, and it's just like we we subconsciously have our our pulse on the system. We know what guests to grab. I think we're perfecting our craft. Um, but I can't speak for Corey, but I just feel like the fruits of our labor as as community leaders in the space, it, it we're not getting the results, I guess, financially that we want. And we're we we want to take this opportunity to ask another podcaster how this project has been working out for you, interviewing people making a name for yourself and um like you said you know ethereum just turned one and when you started your podcast ethereum was around three months old so i want to know everything about your podcasting journey when you first started out around october-ish well so this is and this is this goes all the way back to uh this goes all the way back to beyond bitcoin for me when i make a podcast it's a personal exploration of a subject i don't do it for the money i do it for uh the access right yeah, it's, it's all about access. You want to talk to somebody? Start a podcast. Totally. You know, I just, I just, uh, I was, um, I'm not sure. I'm the, the line's gone dead, but I, uh, I've just started talking to the Winklevoss. Um, I had them. Uh, I, you know, I sent them an email, got a reply. And I was oh, you fucker! Them, We've been but... trying to get him for so long. <laughs> uh, he always fakes my tweets, and he gets me excited, and then he leaves. Um, I'll get him eventually. Uh, but the uh, I'm actually in, on Monday. I'm interviewing uh, on Wednesday. I'm interviewing Jan Talen, and um, and I'm going to use I'm going to leverage his credibility to get uh, to get uh, more uh, more guests. Um, just uh, thanks, Jan. Um, yeah. <laughs> he's a really amazing guy. <laughs> Um, I should clarify, author. Like, I, you know, I don't want it to sound like, hey, you know, we're, we're in this to get, you know, ad money and all that. It's just, you know, we have day jobs and then we come home and we have so much enjoyment doing the podcast. We have these dreams of, hey, what if we could do this full time? I've know? never made. No, you can't do it full time. <laughs> you, <laughs> right, you nail that. Head. Just nail that. Nail, nail the heavy coffee. Don't now. kill my dreams. <laughs> yeah, forget <laughs> it, mate. It's never going to happen. Um, <laughs> but what you can do is you can use it. Hell, I work for Consensus now. I was a bloody fisherman. You know, I was a lobster fisherman. Right. That was my job, and well, I was Wouldn't unemployed. Wouldn't that be called a lobsterman? Uh, actually, sternman is the oh. is the term. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, but um, you know, and now I work for Consensus, and um, and so the the whole point about it is that you through podcasting you gain access to people, and uh, and you can use that you can you can leverage that access to uh, to. Um, to achieve all kinds of things, and you don't even necessarily need to leverage it. Just stuff just happens. You yeah. know, you, you're you guys are in the mix, and you guys are like speaking to people on the cutting edge. Like, I mean, Emin, like that guy is a total guru. Yeah, total I, I would guru. consider Emin almost a personal friend now. 
just because we've had him on the show so many times, and I talked it's to him. Great like, to I, have, man. <laughs> well, I'm I'm an academic. I, I I appreciate everything that he does, and I understands a lot of like the I guess the process in which he goes through things. And so wait, good so you're him. an academic? Yeah. What's your background? I have a I have a PhD in chemical physics or computational chemical physics that um, I've used to get uh, to do some research here in Brazil for about a year and a half. I so studied... are you guys both educated? Well, so so let me give you some contrast to, to Corey. Corey has a PhD. I have an associate's degree in advertising design. And the other day, I'm talking to Vinay Gupta about the meaning of life. That's what this <laughs> podcast kind of provides for me. Yeah, well, I mean, so this is uh, and the, the fact that you guys are standing alongside one another. Oh, right? we're, we've been me and Cello and our other co-host who couldn't make it, D, have been friends for a very long time. And we have very varied backgrounds. D's a um, he has a bachelor's of science in math. He's been a high school educator for a long time, and has recently moved into being like business consulting. And so we really have different viewpoints on life in general, as well, much less cryptocurrency. And so it makes for kind of a, a fun podcast to kind of back and forth on interviewees or how we feel about things. But that's like that's the beauty of this, right? Is that like you can come here. And you can uh, explore an idea, you know, this, this subject, from a bunch of different perspectives, and uh, and bounce those perspectives off off one another. And ultimately, you guys have the ability to. Uh, you guys are in a better position than I ever was, right? I've I've every single podcast, like I said, that I've, I've made has started out as a partnership, and it's always either failed or ended up with just me. Um, and maybe that's something because maybe that's because I'm not very good at working with other people. Are you an um, asshole, Arthur? <laughs> <laughs> honest to God, honest to God. <laughs> but um, but no, really, like I mean, you know, you guys are all gaining the credibility. Uh, you guys are all making like developing that network. Um, you guys are all learning. You know, like legitimately learning. I mean, the the background knowledge that you guys are getting right now, no one in the world is getting this knowledge except for your listeners right and and this makes like the work that you guys do tremendously valuable for them but vastly more so for yourselves because you're the guys asking the questions and you guys get to determine the, the direction of conversation and that is uh, that's an unbelievably valuable uh, position to be in and and yeah, well, I mean, like I said, now I work for Consensus. I I live in New York City, man. New York City. You don't live in New Zealand anymore? <laughs> well, no, I don't. I live oh, in New York shit. City, man. Oh, you just said that. Ah, New Zealand? <laughs> no way, mate. Upgraded. <laughs> Fuck being a Kiwi. <laughs> so no, speaking, speaking, like I guess, I guess piggybacking off of that, um, since you get to steer the conversation. Except when, I, when we choose guests, we tend to choose uh, – there's almost like a, a few variables that we take into account. One being who do we want to talk to? What do we find interesting? Uh, who's the person that like I want to ask questions to? Let's get them on. Two, um, who would other people want to talk to? What, what's going to get us numbers? And three, uh, like who's someone completely outside of Bitcoin that we can just talk to with the leverage we have from the podcast because because we have Will a fucking be. podcast. Uh, how do you how do you choose your interviewees or who you're interviewing and then how do you then steer the conversation 
I only interview people uh, on a due to uh, two things. First of all, opportunity. Well, first of all, personal interest and then opportunity. I uh, I don't take into consideration um, the audience at all. And and I know that might sound like you know like I'm not playing the role of a good host oh, or whatever. No. You but... wouldn't have listeners if people didn't like listening to you and they didn't have an idea or like care about what you thought. So, well, the whole point, yeah. So the whole point of it is, don't like worry about it because you can't, you can't tailor. You, I mean, this comes down to the whole thing. You are not so smart, right? Like, don't think that you know what people want to listen to, and don't think that even the audience knows what they want to listen to. Just follow your gut, follow what you're interested in, because at the end of the day, you're going to perform a better interview if it's something that you're just purely, truly, deeply interested in. And uh, and people are going to listen to that. They're going to feel your enthusiasm, and uh, and it's going to make all the difference. And I mean, obviously, like you know, come on, like how did we all get here? Because we're into this, and uh, and you guys have a ton of listeners, more than I do. No, actually, I think <laughs> you have more. Yeah, yeah. So you, I think, um, leveraging the Bitcoin or the Let's Talk Bitcoin Network has given you quite a platform to get started with. So I think okay, you get between fifteen hundred to. I mean, you've got up to four thousand listeners. Listeners for a single podcast, dude. Okay, so here's the thing about uh, Let's Talk Bitcoin Network um, and Adam Levine. First of all, Adam Levine is one of the most uh, most forward thinking and creative thinking. Um, give us one. Know. Give us one negative thing about him, quick. <laughs> well, he doesn't. He doesn't fucking. Pardon my French. Uh, follow up. Like, I mean. My podcast doesn't wind up in the feed anymore, you know? Damn it, Adam. He's focusing too much on tokenly. Oh, you know? He's trying to he's trying stop, to make a job. Stop yes, yeah, stop doing that and promote my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so so that's what the, so that's that's my only complaint. Is is like look, I mean, first of all, Adam, like, you know, he made this entire media scene. You know, he's yeah, a total totally. guru. Uh, actually another complaint is you should be using Ethereum. Um uh, you know. It's um, it annoys me that he isn't exclusively using Ethereum. Counterparty, come on, that's so 2014. He's stuck. Um, He's sticking with it. He's... Well, it's because it works, you know. It's because it works. Um, Counterparty's amazing, you know. Counterparty's probably one of the most awesome things that anyone has ever built in crypto. Not not because it's like super elaborate or anything like that, because it's not elaborate. Because it's extremely pragmatic. Well, it's a simple use case. This isn't just sending money. That yeah, works. It's, it's amazing. Like those dudes. I remember interviewing Adam Krellenstein. Um, okay, here's the difference between you, you guys' podcast style and mine. I edit heavily, so I go through and I take out all the ums, ahs, breathing sounds. Um, really, Adam Krellenstein? Yeah, yeah. I put ten hours into editing. Uh, often, sometimes. Jesus. Ten hours. Probably, probably eight hours. Yeah. So, and I look good on you. I mean, it, 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 good job because it sounds incredibly smooth. Which, yeah, that's the thing, right? But then again, sometimes you're like in a hurry and then it doesn't come off smooth. It comes off choppy and people can hear the editing and it kind of, it, it screws it up or, um, or you get a bad editor. I've been trying to find an editor to do it for me so that I don't have to spend, you know, like, cause I do two podcasts now. Um, yeah. You have the consensus one as well. 
Yeah, um, which I actually recommend everyone should check out Consensus State Change at uh, <laughs> consensusmedia.org. Um, <laughs> no, well, it's good because they're ultra short. I kept them short so that. Oh, no, I actually people... enjoy that. I, I enjoy that one thoroughly. I listened only, totally maybe, in terms of uh, the Bitcoin space, I listened to maybe four different, I follow maybe four different uh, podcasts, not including ours because I make it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And that's one of them. They're nice and short, simple, concise information. Well, because we just want people to know what's going on at Consensus. And like we could labor them with tons of content. But at the end of the day, Consensus State Change, it's, uh, it's content marketing. Oh, right? you'd, be, you'd be the perfect person to ask this. Um, what the fuck is Consensus? Whoa, dude. Okay, so <laughs> uh, yeah, straight it's, up. Yeah, it's it's... It's everything. I mean, they are making the entire platform or tools to use Ethereum. But who, what, what is consensus? Can you explain that to me? I can explain that to you. I can explain it very well. <laughs> let me let me just think about it for like fifteen twenty minutes. No, so so what what it consensus is is basically there was a need for a for-profit element to Ethereum. And I think th- I think it was a drive within the foundation to develop a for-profit arm. And that um, that kind of didn't go anywhere. So uh, so Joe Lubin, uh, Joseph Lubin. Have you guys ever had Joseph Lubin? You guys yes, have. Yes, we have. And Joseph he is Lubin. a visionary. Guru. Guru, right? And, uh, and I mean, there are actually mixed attitudes toward, toward Joe. In, uh, in the Bitcoin and 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 like and kind of certain uh, certain nooks and crannies of the Ethereum space, I think because he's just so capable and he, uh, and he, he just his his brain is in a different space. He he's and he says it how it is. He yeah. sees it and says it how it is, and it's like, oh, dude, I don't really like that. That's like <laughs> kind of annoying. And it's just like, well, yeah, maybe, but this is how it is. So, um, <laughs> but. Yeah, so con- what's consensus basically is is Joe just said, okay, we need a for we need a for profit arm, and we need to have a place that develops the uh, the actual ecosystem of DApps, right? Because look at uh, look at BitShares. Argue, I'm not going to say it's Ethereum's equal, but it was amazing. But there was no ecosystem of application development, and uh, and what uh, and that is the problem that consensus solves. And so basically, they've taken all of the, they they just said, hey, anyone who has a great idea, come and develop it uh, at Consensus, and uh, let's all sit in exactly the same office and share ideas and come up with the coolest ideas you've ever even imagined. And seriously, we sit in there, and I think to myself, wow, you know, this has never existed in crypto before. A single place like this—it's like Bell Labs, you know. So it's essentially like an incubator for crypto. Venture production studio is the preferred term. So <laughs> the idea is Absolutely. that it's—you know—these these guys just work there, and they uh, they come up with ideas, they develop um, they develop them, and then there's a process we call SRI, the Spoke Readiness Index, where we develop these ideas into business models, and then uh, and then they're spun off into individual companies. And we haven't spun off any companies yet, but we're we're pretty close to it. And um, 
and yeah, it's just uh, it's it's just like a paradise of inf- of innovation in crypto. It's uh, I'd imagine it's, they would feed off each other quite well because you you provided tools. You have Truffle, a lot of the new tools that everyone can use in order to create developments. And then it's just a matter of like what idea do you have, and then you have this great space uh, amongst all of yourselves to really. Like, hey man, how do I do this? Or like, hey, how are you? How are you implementing this? Or like, what, how, what do you think about doing this type of thing? And you can just, you know, stand up, look at somebody, and ask them that question, as opposed to doing the online communication type thing. Well, it's because people needed Truffle to develop their DApps, right? Yeah, they needed you need, it. You need some type of IDE that has a, a, a I guess. Well, Truffle's uh, not an IDE. It's a toolkit. It's got like all the like bits and pieces that you need to yeah. to get started making a DAP. Um, it's, uh, I mean, but <laughs> EtherCamp has their IDE, right? Mm-hmm. And actually, Ether EtherCamp's no longer part of consensus. Hopefully, they're coming back into the fold because I love Roman. Um, he's the man. Uh, but um, but it's and again, it's because people have these ideas about how stuff should go. But uh, but yeah, I mean, consensus is. To be honest, like it's the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. The idea to walk into that room and see the collaboration, the camaraderie, deep camaraderie, you know, like everyone is on the same page and everyone is just trying to drive Ethereum forward. And there's, there's almost a hundred of us now and, uh, and it's, it's totally incredible. I mean, while I don't a hundred percent believe in the idea of altruism, I would imagine that there is some level, some percentage of altruism in everyone in that building and that what they're trying to do is better the community of Ethereum at consensus and not necessarily trying to make a buck. Oh, you don't need altruism when you've just got sheer enthusiasm. You don't need to be trying to better uh, the, the Ethereum, even though everyone is, uh, when you just have just this bubbling over of excitement and, and and enthusiasm Carl Flesch man have you guys ever interviewed Carl Flesch no do it he's awesome we'll like, put him on I the mean, he's just, yeah do uh, I mean he was just a dude who I remember uh, I first time I met Carl was at a dinner with uh, with Roman Mandelale and uh, and Mike um, oh damn it how did I forget Mike's last name anyway anyway he, he works with us now as well um and uh, and we we were at the at a Ukrainian restaurant and we were just talking about crazy stuff. Jonathan Mohan was there as well, actually. He was one of the original Ethereum guys, and uh, and we were just hanging out. And and Carl just had all these crazy ideas. He was like this like ultra young guy. I think he was you know, he's, he's twenty one, maybe he's twenty two. And uh, and uh, and then eventually he found himself at Consensus. He was like, Carl, no way, you're here. This is awesome. And um, He's just a, he's just a real brilliant guy with a ton of great ideas and a really good um, good attitude toward how uh, toward how development should take place and understands that in the work that we're doing now we're we're laying down groundwork for the future and we need to we need to be really careful about the processes that we we develop in in, uh, in our work. I'm totally legend anyway actually and and while I'm while I'm talking about people at consensus it's it's there's no one in particular who you can like it's hard to leave people out right but the crazy thing is to come into this place and meet people like Sam Cassett right our uh, our strategy officer who's just 
has this kind of this kind of lay, lies back in his chair and kind of analyzes situations from a uh, from a distance and uh, and seems to come up with these brilliant ideas and this has this awesome understanding of how things should operate and and these tremendous it's like the Lilich brothers you know who yeah. could have imagined that they would even exist <laughs> who are these guys but like, where did they come from you know I mean there has to be some kind of creation myth behind half of these people but uh but no, they just uh, well, maybe there is. Maybe, maybe they did kind of emerge from some. Maybe they walked out of the sea, you know. But yeah, you all have your own origin stories, like the Avengers. No, it's weird. They don't. <laughs> I feel like they should because they're 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 so so good at what they do. Um, it's uh, it's really beyond belief. I can't believe. Gee, how did I wind up here? This is incredible. You can get us a, an office tour. Mm. We gotta come up. Yeah, do come up. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So. Here's a question. What do you do for Consensus? Well, I run Consensus Media. Check it out. ConsensusMedia.net. Um, it's, uh, it's awesome. It's, I, originally, I thought we could uh, compete with Coinbase um, or, or something, you know, like build something like Coinbase. But I'm now kind of thinking maybe we should do something more like Crypto TED Talks. That could be interesting. I would be something I'd be very interested in, 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 in watching and showing because there's a – I know that – uh, Vinay Gupta did a talk for, I don't know, it was on Vimeo. I don't know where it was, I forget. But it was an incredibly popular talk that discussed the progression of essentially database technology. Data, it was database technology, and then he moved so to good. the internet and how they were both basically incompatible. I'm a, I'm a computational scientist. This is stuff, this is my wheelhouse. And it was beautiful to watch someone explain this in a very beautiful way and something that everyone can understand, which then put into perspective why blockchain is so important. And yeah. this is something Legend. that needs to be readily available in, in somewhat of a form of a TED Talk that would, I think, boost the awareness of what Ethereum, Bitcoin, blockchain technology, whatever the hell you want to call it, whatever it becomes, into the mainstream. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, well, I'm, dude, honestly, I'm working on it. Um, I'm working on it. That is my, that is my mission. You need a data scientist to come talk to me. <laughs> For sure. Hey, it's, uh, it's awesome to know. It's just cool to have you guys here as well. You know, you guys are really bridging the gap because there's this weird ideological divide. Hey, what the hell is going on with that weird talk with, uh, Bitcoin right now, right? What the hell is Bitcoin, uh, what the hell is Blockstream doing talking to those miners? You know? yeah, when we started this podcast, we were like, what do we call the podcast? Surely the Bitcoin podcast has been taken. And then I I looked and it wasn't. And we were just flabbergasted. And of course, the scene has evolved since then. So now we're, I mean, we talk more about fintech, admittedly, than we even talk about Bitcoin. Uh, we, can, we can go a couple episodes and we don't even touch Bitcoin just because the space has gotten so large and, and has evolved. So, I mean, that's, can... that's also kind of the problem of this uh, because we are interested in all aspects of the entire space. Uh, it's grown to a point where you can't keep up. You really yeah. almost have to specialize, but we have no desire to do so because there's so much interesting stuff going on across the entire space. So much. And also Bitcoin's to just shit really like, I don't know. There's a lot of really cool stuff going on. And, and at least is that, there's a, there's promise of great things in the future. If if the Lightning Network what? comes is there, forward, no, no, there isn't. If the what? Lightning Network what? comes forward, he's an Ether Man. He's an Ether Man. I'm just doing this. To feed, I'm feeding the trolls. Feeding yeah. The trolls. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, 
but uh, but yeah, it's a it's one of those things, right? I, I you know I was always interested in Bitcoin, but I don't buy into that libertarian nonsense. Um, you know, libertarianism for me is I, I find it personally offensive. Um, not not like offensive in that it like you know makes me angry. I just like kind of cover my eyes and shake my head and uh, and think, God, guys, do you do realize that you're idealists and that all idealists wind up with broken hearts? Cynics. Um, well, I don't know. Oh, oh so here, here's, I have these principles that I always adhere to when I think about crypto and I, and I really wanted to share them because I feel like, um, I feel like people don't really, people just think about crypto, right? And it's like, no, you've always got to be careful about what you're thinking. Um, and, and one of them is don't be idealistic uh, because otherwise you wind up like Barry Pateman, heartbroken. Um, and uh, did, did, I, did, I did mention Barry Pateman in the, uh, in the coal mining strikes, right? No. Way, way back at the start of the podcast. Oh, did I mention that? I don't think so. Okay, right. So I met this anarchist, uh, this British anarchist in, in New Zealand. He was actually working at the... Uh, the cricket museum in Wellington, and he was. Going, what goes on in New Zealand? The cricket. <laughs> well, we play cricket, mate. <laughs> oh, cricket. Okay, good. Uh, I was thinking about the little bug, not the not the sport. Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. It's not. It's not that we're obsessed with crickets. No, we actually we are we are obsessed with cricket, the sport. And uh, and Barry Payton was this this. He was a uh, he was an anarchist in the eighties and uh, the eighties. He was actually one of the he was one of the original rugby league players and a professional cricketer as well. He was the man. And uh, but so uh, Thatcher wanted to privatize the coal mines, and uh, and basically that was the coal mining. Uh, the coal mining unions were uh, you know, were kind of the next strongest group in Britain at the time uh, after the government itself. So that was a big power grab, right? And it was going to put all of these guys out of work. And they were like, look, you're going to privatize these mines. We're all going to get fired because they're running inefficiently. We're going to wind up on the dole. You're going to have all these social problems. Just don't privatize them. It was the move in Britain away from uh, from socialism to capitalism. And uh, and it all came to a head at a, an incident called the Battle of Orgreave, which I suggest all listeners look up because it's no, it's ghastly. It's really horrible, but uh, it's also pretty hardcore. Pretty, it, it's a cool thing to learn about the Battle of Orgreave. Um, it was a, it was a, uh, it was a demonstration at a coking plant at, at Orgreave where a, an international police force turned up and beat the crap out of all of these uh, innocent striking coal miners and backed them up against a junkyard where they armed themselves and fought back. And it's, it's pretty, pretty epic. But the point is, Barry, the the anarchists supported these coal miners. Uh, while they were uh, while they were out of work and striking, and uh, and Barry, who now works at the, uh, who's still a uh, an awesome anarchist, and now works at the New Zealand, uh, at, you know, his spare time at the at the New Zealand Cricket Museum, he uh, he said to me one time, I, I interviewed, I managed to take like a, a, a lunch off work, and I I tracked I tracked him down and, and interviewed him. And he said, uh, and uh, just about anarchism and, and what had happened back in those days. And he said, just with such a heavy heart, you know, and in a thick, thick British accent that I'm not even going to try to emulate. <laughs> um, 
at the end of the day, everyone, one by one, left. And you would think that the best of us would have remained, but it wasn't the best. It was just the saddest. And the truth of it is that the best compromised their values and found a way to make this work. But uh, but the ones who didn't compromise, they were left without influence. Um, and the lasting influence that Barry Payton has had and, and the value that he has uh, he's passed on is kind of in that he's a martyr. He's a guy who stuck to his guns and said, hey, you, know, you can't push us around. Um, but he didn't, his like, worldview was never realized. You know, he's stuck in this, uh, in this frustrated state. Maybe we can realize something akin to his worldview, but, uh, but certainly he won't see it. And, uh, and he certainly would never agree with our view of how the world should, uh, should go. And so it's, that's just the thing about idealism. Right? If you stick to, if you want to be an idealist, you can do it, but you know, you're just going to wind up heartbroken. This actually, um, this, this actually works really well with. Uh, I read a book called Originals, that was um, I forget where I heard about it, but essentially, like the almost the main point of the entire book was really like, a lot of the innovators of our past who's created the things that have changed the world have never ever been idealists. They've had to somewhat compromise in some way, shape, or form, and the ones that didn't has have, have a temper potentially just we don't know about because they failed because they're irrelevant because yeah, they're irrelevant they didn't get the job done because they couldn't put forth their particular idea because not like like you said previously it's really hard to say i know the answer to one thing because you probably don't this actually brings me to my next point right if you think you know something first of all imagine in front of you a spectrum of uh, and i call i call it when I think about things myself, I call it the plausibility spectrum. And I just try to place something on us on the plausibility spectrum. And every time you do that, suddenly you find, Oh wow, there's like room for doubt here. And you should always be looking for that doubt. You should always be trying to disprove your own theories. Right. And, and just by, just by putting something on a plausibility spectrum, you find that, like, okay, any, any anything, right? Let's let's look at the uh, should Bitcoin, you know, fork to uh, you know do a hard fork and have eight megabyte blocks, right? Should it do that? You know, put that on a plausibility spectrum. You know, you solve the congestion problems that we're faced right, with right now, but at the same time, you potentially damage the uh, the market for you know the fee market, and I mean. Yeah, I mean, it's, you can pick, you know, you can, you can pick one side or other, but neither, you know, both sides has brilliant people on it, right? And certainly neither, not you, I'm not smart enough to choose. Certainly you guys aren't. None of us are in a position. Certainly you guys aren't. Sorry. But you know what I mean? Like, I'm not a technical I mean, person here. Yeah. And do you, do you honestly think that the people who take these staunch opinions on either side are actually as smart as they think they are? Like, no. Well, no, if man. they are, they're smart in a very specific, particular area of smart. I mean, everyone's a genius in their own way, but that doesn't mean you can, you can, you can say anything about anything outside of that genius. 
so don't be so damn sure about whether or not we should fork a hard, not hard fork. Don't be so damn sure about whether they should like enlarge the block size or anything. Just take the pragmatic approach every step of the way. That's kind of why I'm glad that ETC exists because we have a non-pragmatic approach that we can fall back on if our pragmatism bites us in the ass. Not that I think it will, you know. Um, and that is, you know, I mean, so. It's one of those things. And there was one more thing. What was it? Oh, and I might have already said it, but it's that whatever you think, right, whatever you like about what you, you know, about your point of view, that's probably wrong. That's probably not actually part of it, right? It's probably something that just got plausibly attached to your point of view and uh, and and that, like, kind of... You know, and and by virtue of the fa- of the fact that it was plausibly attached to you, you kind of latched onto this whole whole idea or this whole mythology. But I mean, it, it may not necessarily be the case. So you've got to always like, you know, never say, "Well, I think this because this," because because is a pretty shaky shaky idea. You know, it's very hard to hard to be sure about. This idea has, has been, I guess, this is not a new idea of the. Of, um... Just don't be so sure of yourself. I mean, this is it's, it's basically summed up by the Socratic paradox, which is something I have tattooed on my body. It's, it's uh, I know that I know nothing. <laughs> Whoa, that is hardcore, mate. I guess I, I had, I had, uh, it was my first tattoo, and it's one of those things where, like, for your first tattoo, you really got to make sure you pick something that's always going to be true. And I will always know that I know that I don't know anything. And, <laughs> That's real good. That's an awesome tattoo, man. That's I live by that, man. I totally live by that. And if a little child asks me what it means, I can just tell him I don't know, because it's. (laughs) (laughs) That's so good, dude. My first tattoo was a skull and crossbones. I got it when I dropped out of university. Fuck yeah, those are the best tattoos, though. (laughs) Mine was a snake. So. Oh yes, yes. Yes. And then you know we have we have these PhDs running around with I don't know anything tattoos. So that gives me. Yeah, I know. Who are these dickheads? Hey, it makes you feel better. I have a giant snake on my legs. That makes it. (laughs) There you go. Yeah, I should have made come to town, and uh, and we were going to get a Cuddy Sark tattoo. Cuddy Sark's like the the whiskey we drink back home. Beautiful. It's like a cheap whiskey. It's, it's out Beautiful. of favor. But if, if we're if we're all together, we're all getting um, uh, microphones tattooed on us. Dude, we should totally do that. Um, the uh, what, what's the microphone that I use? I'm not even. It's an R. It's a, the um, the uh, RE20 or whatever. I'm only getting um, a very old, tiny microphone that no one uses anymore. That's the only thing I'm getting tattooed on my body. There you go. <laughs> Hey guys, I know we've, we've actually covered a lot of ground. I've I've got some wine to drink, and I've got a mate right here who I'm like um, fleshing out ideas for a Ethereum documentary with. Um, is there anything we should cover before we wrap up? Um, Only that you need to come back on the show, and you're welcome uh, yeah, anytime. Yeah, for sure, we'll do it another time. This Definitely. actually is it's quite perfect. This uh, if we end around you know within a minute, we'll hit a, a, an hour mark, and that's the perfect amount of time for a podcast. So, okay, well, I mean, does anyone have a? Uh, Shall we cook uh, cook a third of an egg? I don't know what that means. Well, you know, you know the joke. Like the the doctor <laughs> says, uh, yeah, the the guy goes to the doctor and he says, "Doctor, I think there's something wrong with me." And the doctor says, "Yeah, you've only got three minutes to live." And uh, and the guy says, "Well, is there anything you can do?" And he says, "I can boil you an egg." <laughs> Come on, that's awesome. That's like my favorite joke. <laughs> 
That's perfect to end on. We're Most people open with a joke. <laughs> he closes with a joke. Okay. Hey, well, it's been awesome. And uh, and I'll, I look forward to having more of these conversations in the future because it's bloody fantastic. And, oh. uh, and more wine. Bring on the wine. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much for your time. Hey, no worries. Um, yeah, ping me when uh, ping me ping me when this goes out, and we'll, we'll promote it on consensus uh, on the consensus uh, you know, Twitter as well. Sounds great. Yes, Thanks sir. a lot, Martha. Awesome. Take it easy, guys. I'll catch you, you next buddy. time. Later. Cheers.